This time last year, most profitable time to mine ever in Bitcoin. People were shoveling money in as quickly as they can. Less than 12 months later, it's the least profitable time to mine ever. It's very difficult to make massive strategic pivots in that amount of time. Hello there. How are you all? Are you having a good week? Are you coping out there? I know the Bitcoin price action hasn't been too great recently. Listen, I've been here before. I've been here twice before. This happens. Just hold tight. Be strong out there. Also, look, things are getting pretty weird. I'm not sure if you've seen, but SBF is being invited to be interviewed at conferences rather than being arrested for squandering billions of customer funds. I'm not sure what the fuck that's all about. But anyway, listen, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got my buddy Nick Hansen back on the show. He is the CEO of Luxor. Now, I spoke with Nick last October when Bitcoin mining was really in the midst of a bonanza. But since then, the industry has been going through some pretty tough times. There's been this perfect storm of too much leverage, poor Bitcoin price action, and then a huge growth in capacity, but energy price shocks hitting the industry. So miners are in distress. There's some companies out there that are really struggling. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to get Nick back on the show and find out what the hell is going on in the mining space. Now, this was a super informative conversation. Nick is a massive fountain of knowledge when it comes to Bitcoin mining. So I hope you enjoy this one. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, you can get in touch. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com and I will get back to you as soon as possible. I am now back in Bedford, so I've got a bit more time. Feel free to reach out to me. All right, onto the show, onto Nick. All right, dude, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Good, man. Good to see you again. Um, good to get you back on the pod. Um, excited to hear about how Luxor is doing and also to talk about your Star Trek badge. That is not Star Trek. That's the old <laughs> Luxor logo, but we'll take it. You don't, you don't press that and beam up? No, apparently not. <laughs> um, man, dude, uh, there's a lot to get into. Okay. Uh, you tell me where you want to start and I'll go uh, there. I mean, I... Everything's kind of fucked at the moment. Yeah. Um, but I want to be positive and we should get mm. there and, and talk about the positives. Mm. Uh, Harry Suddock would say to us, well, everything is good for Bitcoin. Okay. So it, it'll be interesting to work through how the events of the last mm. week, two weeks. What are, you, what are you talking about? I mean, I, I'm surprised that we're, I don't know what we're going to talk about given there hasn't really been anything going on <laughs> the last week. So I'm worried about what we're going to talk about for two hours here. Well, you know, it's interesting, and this is the last two weeks, we haven't had a football match, and uh, you're obviously now a okay. soccer fan. Uh, well, no, the pound is greater than the dollar, so we're back to football. Okay. It's no longer soccer. We're back to football, but we'll see. You're a football fan now. We haven't had a game on this week, so it's been pretty quiet, but uh, a few things have happened in the crypto slash Bitcoin industry. I was originally wanted to talk to you about mining. Um, we can talk about mining. I kind of know more about mining than other things, but uh, obviously we are you know, exposed to this as much as anybody. Um, where do you want to start? Well, let's start with mining because okay. um, miners have been under a lot of pressure. Um, some huge companies yeah. are under a lot of pressure. Okay, Some appear to be folding or in deep distress. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of wondering how we got here. But I've got like multiple... There's, okay. there's such a changing narrative. Like I saw a really good tweet this morning from Hodlanord where he said... Uh, one of the reasons the Bitcoin price is suppressed is that people have been buying fake Bitcoin. Okay. In that if, um, I think what he's trying to say is that if people are trading on FTX and buying Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and it turns out they've got Bitcoin liabilities of 1.4 billion, 
but they what, they hold in one one point four Bitcoin. They own yeah, zero, effectively zero Bitcoin. Yeah, that mean does that mean they've basically been spot selling air, and therefore there's been that whatever the buying pressure or selling pressure is. Could, well, we could work the other way on selling as well, but have we not been getting a true Bitcoin price? Has everything that's happened with Luna, FTX, suppressed the price so much that actually this has brought uh, more pressure on mining that would have existed? Like, what okay. if none of this bullshit had happened? What what would happen to the price? But let's we can come back to that. Let's just okay. talk about um, what's been happening with mining. And let's let's for All anyone right. listening who doesn't understand mining. Uh, who hasn't spent too much time. Let's talk a little bit about the growth. Of, you explained the growth of mining over the last kind of, since the last cycle, we've got large public right. companies now. Okay, so the last time we chatted, almost exactly a year ago, it was October 25th, um, we were in potentially the highest margin environment that had existed for a long time. We had a 42 cent um, hash price, which is, We've actually moved to using Petahash because it's down so much. It's actually about 50, uh, 0.055 cents now. Um, so we use Petahash. Uh, so it would have been $420 per Petahash per second per day. Um, All right, I'm going to pause you there. I'm going to pause you there. Okay. I think explain the pricing of hash rates. Okay. And the reason I ask for that is I'm, I mine. I'm a yes. miner. And I never look at that. What okay. I look at is... How much Bitcoin have I mined? What's the value, and what did it cost me to mine that much? Right. That yeah. So, um, so a mining machine produces uh, this compute power called t- uh, uh, hash rate. Uh, we measure it in hashes per second. Generally, um, around the time we were talking last time, uh, one terahash per second per day would have produced around forty, you know, forty-two cents. And today, it produces about five point five cents. And you know, like uh, the prototypical miner right now is called an S19J Pro. We, call, we just call them J Pros. Uh, the, the J Pro produces 100 terahash. And so today it would be producing about $5.5 uh, a day. Um, l- this time last year, it would have been producing $42 uh, worth of Bitcoin per day. There's a, the, the parameters that go into that calculation are actually very simple. It's Bitcoin price on the day. It's the uh, number, the Coinbase reward the transaction fee, all that stuff multiplied together, um, divided by the network difficulty. So at this time last year, we had actually just gone through the China ban, which um, we were just started to recover from. So in May of 2021, you know, the about half of the hash rate or even a little bit more of the hash rate came off the network, which caused difficulty to go down. Hash price shot through the roof um, because Bitcoin price was rocketing as well at that time. And so we went into this, what I actually use the term golden age of mining. And I think I, I even said like this, this level of margin is not going to exist for, for long um, because if you go into any industry and find you have 80 to 90% margins, they're going to be pouring money in. Uh, they're going to be pouring money into that. Um, and you know, one of the things I want to talk about on this on this pod is, is how this is reminiscent of energy cycles, um, and we're going to start. We're, we are actually seeing the coincidence of an energy cycle, which is generally not um, doesn't correspond with Bitcoin. They have their own cycle. Uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, they have their own cycle, and we're starting to see this coincidence of those two events right now, producing the lowest margin environment that we've ever been in for Bitcoin mining. All right, so Danny's pulled up the network data chart showing. Uh, so this is hash price. hash price, yeah. So this is hash price over the last year, uh, and so we were talking uh, towards the left end of that chart. Um, you can see we changed it to petahash per second per day now, rather than terahash, just because it's uh, you know it's a little bit more intuitive. Actually, we switched to petahash per second per day because it actually coincides nicely with the 
um, it's, it's the same order, order of magnitude as a barrel of oil. So, you know, a barrel of oil, I think is about between 80 and $90 today. I, don't, I didn't look it up before, but, uh, now the pet ash is about $55. Okay. So it was about three seventy five, $375 per better hash, pet hash, which and, is around 10 machines. And but. that's okay. And so now it's at about, but per machine, it's about $5. Five dollars fifty uh, for yeah for that for that particular machine. The machines have come a long way. They're like the latest model from Bitmain is an S nineteen XP Hydro, and that thing does two hundred and fifty seven terahash per second. Hold on, was that a two and a half x? Uh, two and a half x, but it also uses five thousand two hundred watts uh, of power. So it's it's actually, it's it's not extremely more efficient. It's maybe about thirty percent more efficient than a J Pro, uh, but it's just a massive form factor and produce consumes a ton of energy. But if a miner's making about five and a half dollars a day, yep. what I want to know is, well, based on two cents mm-hmm. per kilowatt hour, what what will its cost be, a daily cost on that? Three times 24, I don't know, I can't do the math in my head. Is but it it's, it's going to be uh, at two cents, yeah, anything's profitable. I think even an S9 is going to be profitable right, at okay, that rate. Right, okay, okay. So, so it's still profitable for most companies. But nobody's paying two cents. Right. So what are people paying? So because yeah. I always thought that was like the target. The two cents was the yeah, target. That was the target in 2020. But we've had an energy. So we are going into an energy cycle. Um, so let's back up a little bit. So in t- like in 2010, back when oil was crazy, oil was 150 to 200 dollars a barrel on any given day. A high margin environment investment was pouring into Petroleum, petroleum, um, drilling new wells, fracking, uh, offshore, all of the ways that you can produce oil, they were funneling money into that ecosystem. Now, over the course of a couple of years, they overbuilt, caused the amount of production to skyrocket and crush the price. And then during that time, we were seeing uh, oil companies starting to, you know, in 2014, sort of when their cycle ended, uh, we were seeing, you know, oil companies going bankrupt, the ones that had high uh, operating costs and low margins were going out of business, uh, getting acquired. Those assets were effectively being fire sold to either private equity or, or something. Coincide similar with what's happening in Bitcoin mining today. But it took, you know, around seven years, six or seven years for the, wa- the washout, that washout to occur. And now we're starting to see that influx in investment. You know, demand is up for petroleum products. Uh, and so there's, we're starting to see more and more investment into that space, as well as higher margins because price, price of oil is going up and, uh, you know, demand is also going up. So what is the kind of break-even price? For a miner today? Yeah. So it's going to be somewhere around eight cents, okay. probably. Uh, but no, it's very difficult to even get eight cents right. today. So I would say that the best miners that are produ- that are signing new hosting contracts right now are probably getting close to six, six and a half. Like that seems to be right now the floor, at least in the U.S., most most developed countries. There are places you can go where the economics are significantly different. I call them OPEC plus. They call them OPEC plus countries. So places like Russia, Kazakhstan, uh, they have probably the lowest cost of energy right now, but American businesses aren't able to operate there. So you can't send your miners to Russia to get, you know, two cent power or whatever they have there because they're, you know, obviously what's going on over there is, um, you know, there's sanctioned and things like that. So right now I would say the clearing price for hosting that is available to North American miners um, is around six to six and a half cents. The closer to six cents you get, uh, there are other types of hosting agreements that come into place, things like 
profit shares or or you're potentially putting your machines in relatively riskier locations. You know, Texas, the the odds of uh, of a guerrilla army coming and stealing all of your machines while not zero, very very low. Um yep. places in, you know, say Venezuela where you could get cheaper power, that becomes a little bit more risky. So you're going to start to move up that risk curve the closer you get to 6 cents, 6 and a half cents. Right. Um your average, uh, your average pleb miner that's doing, you know, ten machines, I would bet they're looking at around eight to eight and a half cents right now. So a J Pro probably not profitable for somebody in that tier. And so we're really seeing a consolidation of mining into these mega miners that are, you know, doing grids, you know, grid scale type mining. Right. Okay. So let's let's talk about what happened over this cycle because, yeah. like we say, we have these huge miners now, these huge public companies. Have grown. They've grown so quickly. Like what happened there? Why did we see that? Is it was it just by virtue of the fact that it was so profitable? Yeah. So mar- given that margins were so high, uh, it made a ton of sense to do anything you could to get new machines and get them online. That was you know the marathon this time last year. They were raising hundreds of millions of dollars, making you know bi- you know billions of dollars actually, and investing hundreds of millions of dollars into mining machines. And the way they were able to get access to that capital was due to the profitability of mining. The margin was so thick uh, that you could effectively run a mining machine anywhere. You could plug it in in the kitchen over there and it would probably produce, you know, it'd produce $42 a day and it would cost you maybe 10 bucks to run. And heat, heat up your kitchen. And your kitchen would be, you know, 100 degrees. <laughs> but now that same machine going to produce a little bit less Bitcoin, eight or nine dollars worth of, uh, you know, probably going to produce eight or nine dollars worth of Bitcoin, but your power cost is going to be a bit higher. And so now there's no margin to run those things. And so you have to be at, you know, what we call grid scale, uh, which is, you know, where the pubcos are at today. So, you know, your core scientific, core scientific, Argo, Riot, CleanSpark, Iris are all at, you know, grid scale, massive scale. Would you, and just explain again what grid scale means. They're actually contributing to grid stability. So somebody like, let's use Riot as a good example. They're really the prototype for this type of miner. They're close to just under a gigawatt of, of total energy. Uh, a gigawatt a gigawatt is, is, a, is on a scale of like how much energy. That's a ton of energy. Um, the Bitcoin network probably uses around 11 gigawatts right now. Um, so they're nearly 10%. Of the total capacity, I don't know if they have that all plugged in, right. um, and if it's all mining Bitcoin. I don't know that specifically, but they're using that to uh, do demand response. So in July of this year, power prices in ERCOT, which is the Texas grid, were through the roof. And it made way more sense for them to turn off their machines and sell back the power that they had been allocated through their power purchase agreement back to the grid. And so uh, when, they, when they released their July uh, mining report, it showed very little Bitcoin mined, but they had a caveat that we also made close to $11 million in, uh, in reselling the energy that we had back to the grid. And so what that meant was the demand, the demand for energy was significantly higher than the supply for energy uh, of energy on the grid. So they turned it off and allowed that supply to flow through. Right. This ERCOT kind of case study that's been building yeah. in terms of grid stability with miners, is it happening anywhere else or is it just in Texas? So they the do, I mean, what it's called demand response or yeah. controllable load resourcing. And that is, uh, that's, a, that's something that occurs on most grids. Um, you get some incentive from the RTO to send you, uh, to send that energy back into the grid rather than consuming it. And there are, you know, entire business models built around this factories, 
But I'm, I'm, I'm mean specifically with miners. Oh yeah, but miners, um, you know, we we think that miners use a ton of energy, but they're actually they don't actually use enough energy to really make a huge difference okay. yet uh, in in grid stability. Uh, but they're getting there, right? They're building out tons and tons in in Texas. Um, you know, t- Texas is around. ERCOT's total generation capacity is around, last I checked, around 85 to 90 gigawatts. Uh, and they have a, uh, called a demand delta of somewhere around 30 gigawatts. So, you know, they're, we're actually getting to, you know, a portion of, of, of that under being c- controlled by mining machines, uh, which you can, you know, you start to see a bit of stability in, in, introduced, but uh, we need to add, you know, another zero to the number of miners in Texas. Uh, so going from, you know, a couple of gigawatts worth of energy to, 20. And if at that scale, you would start to see significant uh, grid stability, demand curve delta compression. Uh, the demand curve delta is the delta between the amount of demand at the peak and the amount of demand at the low, uh, at the trough, and whatever that difference is. Um, we could start to see that really compress. Uh, the reason that's beneficial uh, reduces strain on the grid, uh, pr- makes a more efficient grid because you, you're not turning on peaker plants and things like that during those. Uh, high amplitude moments. Do you want to explain what a peaker plant is? I'm not sure everyone will know. Oh yeah, a peaker plant is a natural is a is a natural gas. Gen- it's usually a natural gas uh, generator. Uh, and what it the reason they call it a peaker plant is because it, it really makes the only sense. It only makes sense to turn on when the uh, peak uh, demand is high and people are willing to pay more for energy. And they turn on quickly. Um, they're generally it's not as cheap to produce energy with them as some of the, you know, the more stable base load generators like, like coal and, and, uh, and nuke, but it can be profitable and that's why they exist. And they also, they're the ones that come in during that, uh, high demand portion of the, uh, you know, of the day. Usually if you're in Texas, it's probably, you know, midday when it's hot in the summers, um, everybody has air conditioner on, you know, businesses are running, people are home turning on dryers and all of that stuff. And then, and in the middle of the night is when there's lowest demand. And, and coincidentally, they also, that's when a lot of the wind kicks on is in the middle of the night. So, um, that's a, that's a time when you'd want to be mining, um, and all the peaker, all the peaker plants would be turned off and that sort of thing. This show is brought to you by Ledin. Now from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they will re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only a Ledin sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs too. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Next up, we have Fidelity Investments. Now, one of the most regular emails I receive is people asking how to break into the industry. And Fidelity Investments reach out to me as they are looking to recruit hundreds of digitally native associates to their team to help shape the future of money. Now, Fidelity Investments is a diversified financial services provider with more than $7.2 trillion in client assets under administration and over 1.3 million trades each day. And they have also been pioneers in the Bitcoin mining and asset management space. Now, they started in Bitcoin back in 2014 when they entered the mining space and have continued to grow their team of services ever since. And their in-house fintech incubator is where the teams come up with innovative solutions to bridge the worlds of traditional finance and decentralization. Now, you have the chance to join them and directly impact how they deliver financial services to their customers. 
and they provide the resources, training, and development to make you successful in this emerging industry. Now, if you want to learn more about this, then please head over to crypto.fidelitycareers.com. That is crypto.fidelitycareers.com. Also, today we have Ledger. Now, with everything that's happened over the last few weeks, it's again highlighted the importance of self-custody, so Ledger are running a special deal for you right now. You can secure your digital assets this Black Friday and also get free Bitcoin. When you buy a Ledger Nano by the 28th of November on ledger.com, you can receive up to $30 of free Bitcoin. There's no need to line up outside a store at 4 a.m. when you can secure your assets and Bitcoin from the comfort of your screen. Now, if you want to find out more, please visit shop.ledger.com or follow the link posted in the show notes to secure your Ledger Nano and Bitcoin. That is shop.ledger.com, which is shop.ledger.com. Also today, we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino, and they are trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. Not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they also have fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best Bitcoin casino that you can go to. Now, if you want to find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Okay, so a lot of these miners are now in distress. And there's a couple of things that stand out to me. Well, I guess one of the difficult decisions miners have is when to sell the Bitcoin they've mined. I know a number of miners, ones I've spoke to, said straight up, we're not selling Bitcoin. We're not selling any of the Bitcoin we've got. But they were using the Bitcoin for uh, collateral or to take out loans to increase the size of their operations. So, so that was one thing that really stood out. But then also they were using the equipment as collateral to take out further loans. Mm. And it feels to me the one problem that seems to have hit the industry is I think everyone expected Bitcoin to peak at a much higher price. I, I, don't, I don't think anyone I spoke to thought, if you said to them, this cycle, where do you think Bitcoin will uh, uh, peak? I don't think anyone would have said, yeah, around 60,000, 70,000. I think almost everybody expected we would hit over 100,000 of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I don't know why we didn't. You, know, you can come up with a number of reasons why we didn't, but, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. And it feels like perhaps what's become the problem for these miners is that they've, you know, you never want to sell on the way down, right? So even when we hit 69 and we dropped, I think a lot of people felt it was going to come back. I mean, mm-hmm. I did. Otherwise, I would have sold some Bitcoin. But now they've gone in the position where they don't know when to sell. And it feels like some have had to wait till almost the bottom to start selling off and also to service their debts. And then even some of those now can't service their debts. Mm-hmm. Is, is there like a consistent Issue, like a consistent set of problems that have hit these miners? Is it everything I've said? Is it something else? It's, yeah, certainly a confluence of events, things that you've mentioned there. You know, even if they had the, that high debt load, if the margins had stayed high, they would have been able to service it. Um, even if Bitcoin price had gone down, maybe if difficulty had gone down with it, or we had seen more transaction fee volume, which would have increased hash price, miners would have been okay because the margins would have been high enough. Uh, so we'll, let's let's get into like the super basic economics of how some of these mining loans work. They're generally very aggressive uh, amortization schedules, meaning you're financing over say 24 months. Uh, imagine buying a car and trying, and, you know, if 
you know, paying it off in 24 months, it's going to be a very high payment relative to the value of the loan. So if my, miners had, that have no debt are able to, you know, capture the bit of margin that they have they, and then call that their free cash flow. Now, the miners that have debt, you know, they take that uh, operating income and then they have to service the debt. And that's really where we're seeing miners start to fold is because of the, the extra amortization of the mining loans. So if I went and took out $100 million, uh, or let, let's use even numbers, I took out $48 million, I have to pay a million dollars a month, um, or sorry, $2 million, $2 million a month over the course, plus, plus, interest. plus the interest on top of that. So if my operation makes, uh, if I make $4 million and I have to pay $2 million, Happy days. But then you have to pay the interest. Your free cash flow is mm -hmm. now negative. So you're drawing from the balance sheet. Hold on. If you're gonna if you're gonna pay two million plus interest, but you're making four million a month. Well, you have to pay two sorry, you have to pay two million dollars in energy prices. Oh, okay. And then yeah. you have to pay two million dollars on your debt. mining loan. Yeah, yeah. And then you have whatever other operating expenses that you have, uh, plus the interest, you're free, you have what's called free negative free cash flow, which means your your mining operation, you're drawing you have to draw cash from somewhere else. Either that's from your balance sheet or other operations that allow you to make income, but no longer is your mining operation producing free cash flow. And that becomes a very big problem. So that starts to trigger um, what are called covenants in mm -hmm. these mining loans. And that's why we've seen you know, big miners selling off batches of their machines is they trigger some covenant with their lender uh, where they have to reduce the overall uh, exposure, either reduce the collateral, so they sell off some loans, pay back the, the debt early, or they go into a restructuring where say you tack on potentially a year or something like that to the, to the note to reduce that expense, the, that end of the month uh, debt payment. Do you think some of these companies have been reckless? Have they been unlucky? I think I know so, you probably don't want to throw people under the yeah, bus. Throw, but. Yeah, I wouldn't throw anybody under the bus. I don't think none of them seem to have been egregiously reckless in my mind. Um, around this time last year, uh, you know, everybody thought that you know buy buy more machines. That's how you get a higher valuation. That's the that's the equation. Um, and so they were just doing what the market told them to do. And then the market obviously changed direction pretty significantly. And you know, uh, let's look at uh, one of the highest debt load companies is, is Core Scientific. Um, you know, they 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 have some unsecured debt. They have secured debt, uh, and then the secured debt is the most senior, meaning the the debt that would get paid back in a bankruptcy scenario would be the debt on the machines themselves. Um, and so that right now, you know, they have something like I think it's like eight hundred and sixty. 836 million in total debt outstanding. So would the secured debt be the machines and the unsecured be the energy? There's unsecured, which is you know not secured by anything. There's secured convertible notes, which is secured by anything that isn't encumbered, any unencumbered uh, mining machines. So if, okay. if they owned them outright or infrastructure or you know assets on the, what other assets on the balance sheet, uh, PPAs, uh, collateral posted for those PPAs, that would all be included in the secured debt um, that's held in that secured debt. It is unsecured likely something you're just going to pay a higher rate on because it's unsecured? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's like okay. if you went and took, um, imagine you went and took a $50,000 uh, loan um, to buy Bitcoin with and you didn't secure it with anything. I see. That would be an example of an unsecured loan. Um, so that would be... Well, it's a bit like if you go out and borrow against your Bitcoin, whatever your LTV is affects your rate. But that's a, yeah, but that's a secured, that's secured, right? But, you, but, but, but the, how much you're securing it affects the rate you pay. Right. And these, so these loans were generally 30, 
between 30, 20 to 50%, generally I would say the, mar, the median would probably be around 30% LTV, meaning 30% of the value was, was, was um, you're holding about 30% of the value. So in, in the case of, um, you know, some of these loans, so, you know, for, for example, I wrote down here that, um, that BlockFi lent CoreSci $52 million. That probably represents $150 million worth of, uh, you know, around $150 million worth of total mining equipment that was purchased at, unfortunately, the peak, you know, around the peak. $10,000 a machine. $10,000 a machine, $100. So that, you know, that probably represents somewhere around 15,000 machines. It works, it, the numbers are actually nice and round if you kind of work into it that way. Uh, works out to about 15,000 machines. Um, and unfortunately, those 15,000 machines are, are, you know, depressed maybe nine eighty probably about 80% uh, since the, the loan was issued. And so during that time, I, I don't know, of course, I was making, um, uh, if they were doing covenants uh, or, or making good on their covenants to BlockFi, um, most likely they were, meaning they sold Bitcoin or sold something to pay down a portion of the loan early. Um, but that's what's putting pressure on these miners. That's just a very specific example of what's happening more ubiquitously across the entire public mining market. Just on that point, um, when you... Um Take out a loan with a BlockFi, Ledin, yep. Nexus, any of these companies, um, you over collateralize and then you hit a margin call price. Right. I wonder if there are margin call prices on market prices for the machines. Yeah, they actually they, they do exist. A lot of times, um, there are con there are contracts that actually use Luxor's hash price uh, rig index. Uh, we you know we go out and source um, the machine pricing across different models from around thirty five different data sources and try to produce a reference rate for the value of a machine on any given day and. We have heard or and, and have seen contracts that use that reference rate as the mark to market. So as you hmm. see the value of machines decreasing, the mark to market, the LTVs um, start getting skewed, and miners have to uh, top up to you know to to pay that. And that's that's you know when I said covenants, that's effectively getting margin called based on the value of the collateral going down. Okay, just another thing. I've been taking a lot of notes here because you just okay. bring up uh, a few things that I want to ask about. You talked about the. Um, uh, the transaction volumes dropping, and therefore mm. that affects the amount the miners earn for uh, every block they find. What was the range that we've been seeing in terms of percentage of the revenue that's coming from block yeah, reward versus transaction? One percent or so of the of the total reward comes from transaction fees. One to one to two percent. Oh, so very very low. Very low. Contrast that with you know the bear the the bull the bull run in late 2017 and 2018. We were seeing 150 percent. And that was also when the- Hold on, you're saying the bottom is 1%. What's that? You're saying the bottom is 1%. The bottom right now is about 1%. During 2017, 2018, we were seeing transaction fees being 150% of total block reward. Was that when you would pay $50 to just get into a block? That would, uh, more than that, but yeah. During that time, you were paying you know, massive fees. Um, right now, you can fit around 2,000 transactions per block, and there was just a massive backlog, and people would- Is there uh, a chart for that? Yeah. It's on hash rate index, so okay. you can pull it up there. But um, but yeah, so during that time, transaction fees as a percent of the block reward were insanely high. We also saw consistently that pre-mining ban, transaction fee volumes were much higher, double digits, you know, teens, low teens, and post-mining ban, it's never been the same. And so this led a lot of people with you know tinfoil hats and conspiracy theorists to think like were the Chinese pools doing something or like Chinese miners trying to inflate the the amount of transaction fee in the in the block um, for or, what reason 
to increase their their total mining rewards. So they knew that they had the majority of the network. They would mine the majority of the blocks. You could probably do some math to figure out if I make sure that the amount of transaction fee is above a certain amount. Um, you know, I'm going to start. Make, you know, my expected value from doing that activity is X. And but you, isn't that isn't that cost neutral? Because they're, if they're faking, they're actually having to spend the Bitcoin to put them in the transaction. Well, they're spending the Bitcoin, but they're getting the Bitcoin back because they mine the blocks. And then the marginal, uh, the marginal transaction, so your my transaction um, or whoever's, uh, they have to pay that higher fee and then that gets captured. So they're driving up our fees? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, well that, that was, you know, there you go. Yeah, that's Okay, a, okay, so. Uh, that's average transaction fee. Um, and then as a percentage. As a percentage. And then here it is as a percentage. percentage yeah. All right, okay, so generally it's about like. Uh, so okay. then you can see the mining band there at the bottom right and we've just never really recovered. So the mining ban was, is that like mid-2021? Mid-2021, yeah. Okay, so 2019 to 20 got up to about 10%. Then there's a massive amount of activity, but that is also bull run time. Yeah, bull runs cause transaction fees to go up, yeah, cause yeah. hash price to go up, margins to go up. Everybody's making money. Everybody's figuring out how can I you know, lever up? How can I pour money in? How can I get ahead of this? And then they just expected that to go maybe another three to six months. I think if we had seen hash price above 15 to 20 cents for another three to six months, a lot of these miners would be in a much better position. They would have been able to um, get a little bit further through their very aggressive amortization schedules. They would have had a more balance sheet to withstand that negative free cash flow that we're seeing now. And they would actually be, I think they'd be in a really good position to you know, weather the bear market. Because you know, a mega miner like that, they're they do produce positive cash flows. It's just when you add in the leverage, uh, that's when things start to kind of break down. Right, okay. And do we know if the Lightning Network has reduced the number of transactions within that go into block rewards? So for example, we, you know, we, we were selling our merch at the Pacific Bitcoin, yep. as you know, and uh, I would say, I think we did maybe around 100 Lightning transact, uh, Bitcoin transactions, of which okay. five would have been base chain. Okay. We still did them because people didn't have uh, any Bitcoin in their Lightning wallet, yep. and the rest were Lightning. Now, the Lightning ones, if the channel's already open, there's no transaction fee going to the miners, mm -hmm. but the base chain ones there are. Right. Do we know if the Lightning Network is having that impact, or is Lightning Network just new transactions that wouldn't have happened? So it's hard to say. I, I don't know exactly if uh, that is the that is the theory. Um, if you're not conspiracy theorist about you know the Chinese miners producing transaction fees that you know introduce uh, you know kind of a base layer of fee reward, that would be the other you know one of the other causes, or it's just you know lower interest in the network as a whole. Um, I mean, if I would have gone you know if I would have gone over and bought stuff from somebody that had a that had a um, a way to pay with Bitcoin probably would have done a base chain transaction because it it would have been what five cents. Yeah. Um, the you know light, lightning right now is uh, it's it's hard to really justify opening those those channels just due to the the economics being so uh, in favor of using base chain currently. What mine is meant to be using futures to protect themselves against these situations? Okay, well, thank you for the meatball. So, uh, oh, yeah, well, so like, like um, I and I don't fully understand futures, right? I mean, right. I do, I do. I know you can hedge. I know. Historically, from watching, is it trading places where they, uh, they have the futures for the orange uh, juice market, and the futures are there to protect if there's a, yeah, the the crop isn't as you know as they expect. Right. If there's storms or they you know they don't harvest as much many oranges, the futures give the farmers a stable price to have a stable income for their 
uh, for their land. Right. And that, that I, my understanding was meant to be the same for Bitcoin miners, that the futures would exist for them to protect themselves for this kind of variability. So there's, there's really no future uh, product that exists today for hedging your outputs. Um, the out, so there's, there's, two, there's, there's output of a Bitcoin mine, which is Bitcoin and, and, and generally dollars. Bitcoin miners most generally should be trying to get to dollars to reduce the risk on their, um, on their operation. And then on the inputs, that's, you know, just energy. Um, and so th- there are some ways to hedge energy today. Uh, you could you know, buy energy, uh, buy energy forwards. You can do you know, different types of strategies, maybe buy, you know, if you know that your energy source is nat gas, you can try to buy nat gas forwards to lock in some input, um, you know, some of your input costs, but there isn't a great way to hedge your outputs today. Um, there are some bespoke products called physically delivered hash rate forwards. Uh, and what that means is, you know, say you have a hundred pet hash of hash rate, I buy it from you at, you know, some value today, uh, you know, $55 a pet hash today, and I'll, I'll buy it from you for um, a 20% discount. And then you lock in that value. So you then take, you know, what's 50, what's 20% of 55, uh, is that $11? Uh, 20, uh, 20% yeah. of 55, um, it's going to be eleven eleven dollars yeah. off. So I'll buy it from you for for forty four, and then um, you're locked in. So now you know where your input, you know, you know where your outputs are going to be over the next six months. The the problem with that type of contract today is that it requires um, heavy collateralization. Meaning, there's I have to collateralize as both the seller and the buyer. The buyer has to put up whatever the value of that contract is on that day, and then the seller also needs to put up that amount because there's nothing stopping the seller from just unplugging their machines or pointing them to some other pool or or whatever. There's no physical constraint on that. Right. You would have to get in. That would be like a default scenario, and then you'd have to you know. So they generally need to be collateralized pretty heavily. Um, Luxor recently launched a new product called a hash price NDF. NDF stands for non-deliverable forward. What does that mean? It means that I don't actually, as a miner, have to deliver you the hash rate. Uh, we look at the reference rate for what the value of that hash rate was, and we settle the difference. You don't have to collateralize nearly as much because we know the volatility uh, over a certain period is is you know, what, we know what the bounds are on volatility, and we can also introduce margin requirements, maintenance, things like that. Um, and you're not actually exchanging physical hash rate, which if you're having to exchange physical hash rate, that introduces a lot more complexities. The contract gets much longer because you have to have verbiage around uptime and availability and, um, you know, like what are the default scenarios? And, you know, if, if I'm below, uh, you know, my delivery schedule, do I, can I top up? Can I go buy hash rate and make my contract whole? All of those things add complexity to a physically delivered contract, and so we really wanted to reduce that complexity by by doing this NDF. So let's walk through like the mechanics of what an NDF is like. So you and I, you know, we say uh, in that same scenario, uh, let's do a we'll do a thirty day tenor, thirty uh, day contract. Today hash price fifty five dollars. We've seen tenors trading. Uh, we've seen that thirty day tenor trade at about you know two to three percent discount to spot. So. I'm going to, you know, if you're going to buy my hash, hash price, um, you know, you offer me that discount, I sell it to you. And then over the course of, you know, over the course of the next 30 days, uh, Luxor hash, you know, uh, or hash rate index produces the reference rate every day. And then we settle, um, daily, uh, using a, a, a time weighted average over the course of the, over the course of the contract. And then we get to the end, say it's $60. Um, I owe you then whatever the, I owe you the time weighted average difference between 55 and 60. If it was linear, then I owe you $2 and 50 cents, uh, for, for that contract. 
Um, so we can actually, you know, we can take collateral for that and, you know, about right now we say 30%. And by t when we take that collateral, um, the reason we're holding on to that is just to make sure that at the end, you know, there's no, you know, no, we can move the, uh, move the funds from the buyer to the seller, whichever side of the trade wins. Uh, and also that the, you know, you're not going to default. Uh, and we know that over a 30 day tenor, uh, there hasn't been a period where we've seen that much volatility, uh, ever since the okay. inception of Bitcoin. So that's where 30% came from. Right. Okay. Danny, can you bring up the hash rate yep. chart? So we've spent the last... 30 minutes-ish, talking about um, the difficulties that all these uh, mining companies are having. Yep. Hash rate is skyrocketed. Why? <laughs> so, Because mar so, look, look at, look at yeah. that. That's fucking unbelievable. Well, that's all time. That's yeah, a hard one. But, but, but. but you, I mean, Danny, you can go to the last year. It's the last year everyone's been in pain. Yeah. Basically. Especially, everyone's really been in pain from, what, from the drop in about May. Even in the last three months. It's yeah. been the last three months. The last three months is really the pain period. Yeah. yeah any, anything under, I would say anything under about 12 or 13 cent hash price is really going to be where things start to get iffy. But the hash rate's up nearly 50%. You know, if you yes. say the bottom's just yes. 200, we're nearly at 300. Like it's up yeah. about 40%. How yeah. is hash rate up 40% when everyone's in pain? Yeah. Okay. Great question. So, um, most, as I, as I was mentioning about you know, what happened this time last year, there was massive investment happening, but that investment doesn't, doesn't just show up. You know, if I go buy a um, hundred thousand mining machines, they don't show up this, this month or, or even next month or the month after that, they probably are going to start showing up within six to nine months. And so those machines were getting plugged in, in late Q3, you know, mid Q3, late Q3. And now they're all starting to come online. And what I mean by those machines is, you know, when we saw the pubcos going and investing and buying hundreds of thousands of mining machines, you know, Marathon Digital famously bought, um, you know, 100,000 mining machines this time last year. And they're now all starting to come online. So those are, that hash rate that's coming online now is hash rate that was paid for a year ago and is now starting to show up, um, which is really going to crunch, um, you know, it, it, the margins on, on the, that investment. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the next, you know, probably I would say 12 to 18 months. Is there more to go, do you think? I, I believe so, yeah, I believe there's still more to go. And it's, uh, we're, we're, I would say we're getting close to being somewhat saturated in the US market because our energy prices are a bit higher than you can find elsewhere. But I think there's still gonna be mining done in other places. So, um, you know, there, there is some concern that maybe nation states are starting to turn on machines and mine, um, turn on machines in mine at whatever it costs just to get around sanctions, that sort of thing. Concern? Uh, well, I, sh I shouldn't say concern, but there, there are some, some rumors or, or theories that that may be where some of this hash rate is coming from. You know, say a, say a Russia, they're yeah. sanctioned, they're, they can't uh, participate in the majority of the world's uh, banking system currently for what they're doing in, um, you know, over there. And they could be taking Bitcoin mining machines, plugging them into their effectively free natural gas generators. Uh, and, you know, they, they mine no matter what, you know, or they mine regardless of what the economics look like. Um, and that is, uh, that could be a scenario that is playing out. And we'll see, I think we're going to start to see over the next six to 12 months, uh, if that is the case. The reason I think we'll, it'll take that long is we're getting to the point of like the marginal machine right now is not nearly as profitable. I mean, your margins are single digits, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe low teens on those machines. And if hash rate continues to grow, 
that margin is going to continue to come down. And if uh, if we reach a point where you know the marginal machine has a zero percent margin and hash rate then continues to grow, we know that there's somebody out there that is mining at a loss, and and they may not care because they're, the value that they're getting out of that hash rate is greater than um, than the economic reward at face value. Then what happens to the public companies? Is it a race between like who can survive the the longest. longest, yeah. If if there's a if there's you know if there's entities out there that are able to mine at you know effectively zero cost, um, there is no way for miners to really you know miners that have to pay for energy um, to compete. So that might require uh, Western nations to subsidize miners if they <laughs> to yeah, keep the hash rate. If they need if they need if they want if we want to keep hash rate in the U.S., that could potentially be a case. That's what La- uh, Jason Lowry talked about, didn't he? I don't know. I've not heard that. Mining as national security. I'm sure. Oh, I, I mean, we yeah. talked about that on the pod last time. Yeah. That mining, uh, you know, mining is a is a matter of national security. If we're gonna, you know, per- if the U.S. government wants to protect, uh, you know, its Bitcoin, um, you know, constituents, that would be something they need to do is make sure that, you know, their their uh, Bitcoin holders within their country are protected from, you know, foreign influence and foreign, uh, you know, interve- intervention. This show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. But whilst we're at the bottom of a bear market, I'm only buying. We're hodlers, right? We hold through this. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips all through this, and I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini have invested in building leading industry security since day one. Gemini are also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade over $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Also today, we have BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am now a customer of BCB too. Now, they heard about the difficulty I had with finding a payment services provider that understands Bitcoin, and they reached out to me. Now, BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, and they are expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now, listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. So if you're looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you might want to become a BCB customer too. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Also, today we have my new sponsor, Wasabi, who I will now be using to make sure I keep my Bitcoin private. With the release of Wasabi 2.0, privacy is now effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Now, rather than having to choose to coin join, this can be done automatically, so you just have to receive your Bitcoin wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement, which you know, that's always something I care about. Now, you do get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't leak your IP address. There is also no more minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount, and there is no change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. 
Now, privacy is something I am definitely taking more seriously, and with the recently released Wasabi 2.0, this becomes so much easier. Now, if you do want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Per block, mind, uh, what is the difference in price that uh, miners are earning between the, the current cycle and the previous cycle, pre-halving? Yeah, so there's around, oh, pre-halving? Yeah, pre-halving. So pre-halving now, yeah. like, you know, it was 6.25, we're now... Yeah, so it was, uh, so 13.5. Six and a half, wasn't it? And then 3.75. It's 6.25. 6.25. Yeah. So 6.25 3, currently. So um, it's 3. Uh, one, the next one will be 3.125. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so we had, so it's 12, it's 12 and a half last time. What do you think? What, what do you think the price was um, in April of 2020? I don't remember. Oh, good I'll question. Have Let's have a guess. April 2020. So I want to say around eighteen thousand. No. no, 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 no. Had no, we gone up after that? It would have been like nine thousand. Right? Yeah, oh, that was pre-run. Yeah. When did we, when did the run start? Was it June? It was late 20. Was it late 20? April yeah. 2020 was about seven ish. Seven, seven to eight. Okay. Something like that. So a block of Bitcoin back then uh, in April 2020, pre having 13.5 BTC. Uh, 12.5. Was, was, what's that? 12. Or, yeah, 12.5. It was about uh, 94,500. Right. Now uh, block is 6.25 times spot price today. Uh, 16 we'll and say, a half. We'll say 17. <laughs> it's 106,000. So okay. it's actually a little bit more per okay. block right now. But a lot uh, more competition. Dollar, but there's significantly more competition, probably over double the amount of competition. Where I'm going with this is we are, what, a year and a half away from the next halving? Where are yeah, we? it's going to be in you know late April, early May of 24. So if the price doesn't recover, that's going to add even more pressure onto the miners. So we had that conversation um, you know, internally last time. What What's going to happen post-halving? And that was... But with that, during that time, in the two-ish months after having is when we saw the lowest hash price to date, um, I guess till now, um, was in that summer of 2020. That was the, that was the uh, max pain event for miners. Uh, Hold on, so, sorry, just to, sorry to interrupt. Does the hash price that you quote, is that the leveler between, so you can ignore the uh, block reward and the halvings. You can reward block reward halvings, yeah. um, difficulty, all that stuff. That right. that, that that number that is, Luxor yeah. produces, um, the Luxor hash price index, pr- is is the uh, aggregation of all of those metrics yes. into one reference rate okay. that we use for the value of hash rate. Uh, that time it was around seventy dollars a petahash per second. We're now at fifty five, okay. um, and so. That was the at that time the lowest margin environment that we'd ever seen. But now it's even lower because hash price is lower, energy prices are higher, your inputs are higher, your outputs are lower. The margin that you have to make in the middle as a miner is the lowest it's ever been. Right. Okay. So how do you how do you think this is going to play out over the next year? Are we going to see what's going to happen with Core Scientific? Are they just going yeah. to renegotiate? What's going to happen with all these other large public miners? I I, I don't know the state of them all, but yeah, so it's those that have the, the lower the debt load currently, the the better the miner is positioned because, I, as, as I mentioned, they do they can mine profitably. They will produce free cash flow at the end of the month. If you plug in an S nineteen at 
uh, at Riot or Corsi, um, it's the amortization schedule of the debt that's going to be the, the, issue. the killer. So anybody that has high debt is in, you know, is in a very precarious position and is probably going to need to renegotiate some of the, the, that load. The miners like, like Riot has a very low debt load, um, Clean Spark very low debt load. Um, and so those types of miners, uh, they're also well positioned to, you know, to accelerate through this because they are producing free cash flows means they can reinvest, that sort of thing. Um, mm. And some, some have uh, diversified their income streams. True, HUD eight also yeah. has diversified income. Um, so they're you know they're trying to do like high performance compute and things like that, which make a ton of sense because really at the end of the day, most most miners are, are really a reminiscent of like an energy company. You know they um, or a, or a traditional data center. Um, and so as long as you know if they can if they can monetize the input with some margin, uh, they should be doing that. And if there's a higher margin uh, activity they could be doing like. Doing high performance compute or um, you know switching to a traditional data center—that's something that you know it makes a lot of sense for them as a business, especially as Bitcoin margins go down. So back to your internal discussions about the halving. Yeah, could we see bloodbath in the mining industry if we don't see price recovery? Um, I mean, so over the if, if we don't if we don't see a, a bit of relief from specifically hash price dollars per terahash uh, or petahash over the next. I would say over the next two to three months, that's when we're going to reach. You know, it'll be it'll be max pain for anybody that has a mining loan. And these mining loans. Oh, another really interesting note is that most of the mining loans they they won't lend over uh, the lenders won't lend over the having. So most of the notes huh. they, they won't lend over the having because the the economics that is such like so a big, yeah the economic that's such a big economic event. It's it's impossible to know is my note is my mining loan going to be. Like, am I ever going to get it paid back? So they won't lend over the, m- most of them will not lend over the having. Um, so that means we're kind of in this, we are unwinding, right? So leverage is unwinding. Every month that goes by that a miner doesn't, um, you know, that a miner doesn't default, the amount of leverage in mining is going down because, you know, they're paying down one more month of amortization. Uh, and so, you know, as that progresses, um, you know, we are slowly, slowly unraveling, unwinding. But who's going to, you know, is somebody going to capitulate before that, um, We'll see. There'll be some interesting distressed deals, perhaps. Yeah, there's some big there's some big batches of machines that are coming coming across um, you know coming across our trading desk, and we're seeing you know pretty aggressive pricing on them. Um, so give me an idea of price. Uh, Fifteen a terahash. What does that mean for a price of an ASIC? Uh, like what, what can you get an S19 now? Uh, Fifteen hundred bucks. Fuck, I paid ten thousand for your yeah. mind. Um, so is that and do you think that's a good buy? So you can look at it from an ROI perspective, and that's actually Bitmain will most likely, uh, yeah, so this chart actually is, um, we try to normalize this across a lot of different models, and so it won't show like Just explain this chart to the people listening. The the chart that we're looking at here is the ASIC index, uh, and this is, the like I mentioned, we produce this reference rate daily for a tranche of machines um, based on their efficiency level. So the the lowest there, um, the red red line there is the, that's the most efficient machines uh, under 30 joules per terahash. You know, right now, uh, like I said, the, the J Pro is, uh, I think it's 32 joules per terahash. Um, and so that's like the reference rate. I don't know, can you click on there and see what it shows? Can you go up a touch, Danny? Yeah. Go up to all. I just wanna see, so they do go up as well. Oh yeah, we oh, were only yeah. Seeing, absolutely. Can I tell you what I'm thinking? Tell you what I'm thinking. These might make a good investment. To buy and hold or buy? To buy and hold the machines mm-hmm. themselves. Because, I mean, if you look there from, what, October 21, what's that? That was like a 400% increase in the, 
So the, the bottom line is actually, uh, the top line, is, bottom line uh, here is actually S9s. S9s in the last cycle, that was, that was the, the Bitcoin beta play. S9s were effectively free. Um, during the last, you know, during summer of 2020, people were selling S9s for uh, scrap, $20. Yeah. $20. I, had, I had 70 of them. We talked about. I told you about 140 of them. Yeah, well, the 70 were dragon mints. Yeah. So even when I actually sold my uh, uh, S9s, nobody wanted the dragon mints. The dragon mints literally were $30 for scrap each. And that that was only if they came with the power supply, because I need that power supply for other machines, because you can reuse the power supplies. Yeah, but my I'm trying to remember what I got. I I want to say like $200 a machine or mm. two. But but I previously. I'd been previously offered thirty dollars, and I just hadn't got around to saying to the guy, like, "Yeah, get rid of them." Yeah. And then, you know, somebody approached me and said, "Have you got any machines?" I said, "Yeah, I've got seventy of them." So what? I, what I'm thinking is, is like, at the end of the year, we get we're coming to the end of the year. You know, I've got a profitable podcast. I've got some money in the bank. If I don't spend that money, I have to pay corporation tax of nineteen percent. Mm -hmm. But if I buy these machines, I then I don't have to pay corporation tax because that's capital investment. You're spending, you know, spending your profits. So would it make sense to say, say I, I don't know, say I had $150,000 profit, yep. should I go and buy 100 of these machines? Yeah. Because um, that could be next year, they could be a 4X. They could be. Uh, that could like be I worse. Said, could be worse. Yeah, the, the <laughs> like I said, so the S9 was the beta play. You could buy them for effectively you know, $20 a piece. And then they went up to, you know, there were some of them selling for eight, 900 at the top. So yeah, maybe that was, maybe I got like $700 a in the pod, you said six. So. Was it six? I yeah. can't remember. But um, but anyway, so moving, yeah, looking at so what's what, the play this time? What's what's the play machine? So it's really hard to determine to, to to claim that right now. So the, the re or make the claim about is it a good investment right now? And the reason being is that we we don't really know. You don't really know where hash rate's going, and and the unknowns of hosting right now are really probably the biggest concern. It's hard to find good hosting uh, because they're really constrained. All the big miners have gobbled up the space, and so if you're looking for hosting options, you're generally looking at small, potentially unexperienced operators. And what if you don't want to host them? I mean, there is margin to be made. Um, I guess you could put them in your garage. Um, Can you not hold them for me? I have a warehouse, yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we, can, we can hold on. I'm just yeah. wondering, that's a good investment. I don't know. Traditional wisdom would say no. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean that if, you know, if Bitcoin goes on a run, it's a high beta play. I mean, the, the, the value could be zero. Um, you know, and if, a, if, if hash price, can, if hash rate continues ripping, hash price continues uh, dropping, and you know a J Pro becomes un you know unprofitable at ten cents, those the value of those is going to be evaporated. You know, Down to what? Um, they're fifteen hundred dollars today. People are probably would probably be trying to get rid of them for a couple hundred bucks. Um, well, then it does. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it it would trade very similar to the way an S nine did. You know, and that you would, could buy hundred machines for twenty thousand dollars. And I mean, that's what pe people were doing that in summer of 2020. And huh. where some some folks were warehousing them. Uh, and so, you know, if uh, if a J Pro got down to six or eight dollars a terahash, you'd probably want to start thinking about it because that would be, you know, what six or eight hundred dollars. Um, but it's really hard to say uh, what's going to happen with mm. with hash price. What's going to happen with these XPs? Um, you know, and in 
it doesn't, you know, Bit, Bitmain, one good, one good thing for miners to look forward to is that Bitmain did not release an exceptionally more efficient machine this year. Um, they did last year, which was the XP, uh, which brought down, which increased efficiency by about 30%. And so that means if you had S19, you know, if you had J pros or 19 pros or any of the S19 series, uh, that you were going to be, you know, now competing with a miner that was 30% more efficient. Um, so that there obviously reduces uh, your incentive to buy some of the later generations. But now we're seeing that, okay, they, they're only going to produce the XPs for the next year. Um, and so I, I at least know where like the floor of efficiency is. And if I can maybe, you know, play games with that, or I, I can make an investment around that, that might make sense. How much pressure does this put on the like to Bitmain themselves as well? Because, yeah, you know. So, so Bitmain made a really big gamble or a, they made a really big push into what, what are called the hydros. And that is a machine that comes purpose built for uh, liquid cooling. It's, if you've ever seen a, uh, like a gaming PC that has those, yep, seen it. those, uh, yeah, those hoses on them, they're like that. It's, it's not immersion where immersion, you put the whole machine into some liquid. This one is actually just has the hoses go onto the chips and cool it that way. Um, they made a really big push into those and it, and you know, I was at WDMS a couple of days ago, uh, in, in Cancun and they were, that was, that was the message. They want to sell XP, you know, they want to sell hydros, they want to sell XP hydros. Um, and they think that that's the way to go. They made a really big investment and we'll see if it pays off the, like you said, it does put a ton of pressure because there's not a lot of people buying new machines right now. There's no capital to invest in them. Um, given the events of last week, there is no new capital coming either. So if you don't have money, uh, to go buy machines, uh, the, you know, the, the person that produces those machines is definitely going to be feeling some, some pretty major pressure. They're doing a lot of creative things to, in, you know, to, you know, get machines off the shelves that looks like, um, subsidizing, um, you know, subsidizing miners. So if you have sub four cent power, they'll give you a 50%, basically a 50% LTV, but it's machines. They'll give you, um, machines at 50% cost and you have to mine with them for a certain amount of time to effectively pay that back. Um, so they're doing a lot of creative things like that. And, and there's a lot of companies that are doing other similar creative things. Huh. Should we buy some miners, Danny? I'm not sure. It sounds like a sketchy player. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. I'm, I'm uh, you know, it, you definitely, co ca cost averaging here may not be a terrible play. Um, you know, that's where a lot of, you know, a lot of folks are, are buying in smaller quantities. The, the quantities and volumes that we've seen, actually, so we started to see volumes tick up in, in our, you know, we do a brokerage business where we help miners that need machines acquire them. And we saw volumes start to pick up you know, towards the end of Q3, uh, in early Q4, uh -huh. um, most of Q3 was effectively dead. There was nobody investing in new mining machines because, uh, the value of them was in a free fall. You can see from the yeah. chart there from yeah. April to, you know, end of July was just a, basically a vertical line down. Uh, but then we sort of reached a little bit of a plateau. Um, and that was when volume started to pick up and, and that was when people felt like they could reinvest or, you know, start making investments again, uh, with a little bit more certainty. Do you think the Intel machines are going to disrupt this at all? No, not right now. Uh, they're they're just not efficient enough yet. Okay. Um, but I do think that Intel, if Intel continues to invest in this market, they will reach uh, you know parity with the the Bitmain machines. And the reason, so Bitmain has a pretty much has a stranglehold over um, the. 
I shouldn't say stranglehold, that's rather negative. They are really, they're competing at a really high level. Uh, and the way that they're able to do that is because of their relationship with TSMC. They get allocations that other people can't. They're able to produce more chips uh, and more machines that other people can't. So that's the reason they're able to continue to hold such a strong position in the market. Um, what's minor is, uh, would be second place. Uh, they get a lot of, you know, they're, they're able to produce a lot of machines, just not as much as Bitmain. Uh, Intel though, since they own their own production, they would be able to pr to go out and compete with with Bitmain head to head um, on a on a you know volume basis. They would be able to produce enough machines. The only thing that's holding them back now is they just need to get to that efficiency level that it makes sense. I talked about this on the show the other day. Um, everything is kind of a derivative of the Bitcoin price. We we can see yeah, it there, 100%. right? It's it's exactly the same for our business which is just a podcast, six people making content. But our downloads, you could put our down, you could have a line there for our downloads and it would kind of track the Bitcoin price. Okay. Well, there's we a should. Bitcoin price on this, so you can put it, you can overlay it. Yeah, I mean, ours, yeah. ours would very, you know, quite similarly follow, follow that. Um, what I don't, I said this on the podcast the other day, what I don't understand is why people are not preparing for worst case scenarios. We have. You know, we conserve capital. You know, we produce a good show yeah. and we invest in the show. But when we're profitable, we put money by. We we have to create a runway. You know, we we've got a runway that protects yeah. us for about a year. Yeah, you know, we always want to be a year ahead. So if like if the the market crashes or there's not enough sponsors about, we know we can keep making our show. I don't have to lay people off. We're protected. Now, there's a lot of people involved here in mining who've been involved in Bitcoin longer than I am. They know this, mm. and I don't understand why they have not prepared for these worst-case scenarios. Well, they, they were. Tr I think they were trying, and but the problem is this: this just happened too quickly. Um, and so they, like, like you said, this time last year, most profitable mine, time to mine ever in Bitcoin. People were shoveling money in as quickly as they can. Less than 12 months later, it's the least profitable time to mine ever. It's okay. very difficult to make a very, it's very difficult to make massive strategic pivots in that amount of time. Right. Okay. And how much do you think this, like there's been multiple things that feel like it's been a, like it's been hit at multiple angles. The increase that you got an energy cycle, yes. as you've mentioned previously, and, and then you've got a complete collapse in, we've essentially had three Mt. Gox in the last six months. Yeah which hasn't really helped. Um, I wonder where the price would have been. I wonder whether the price, I wonder, I wonder if what Three Hours Capital were doing, FTX and Alameda were doing, was actually depressing the price. I wonder if uh, none of that had happened, whether the bull run would have gone on longer and we would have settled at a higher price. I just don't know, but I have a feeling we got fucked by frauds. New Capital is, delayed significantly now as a result of everything that's happened over the last six months, even more specifically the last week. New capital coming into this industry was sitting on the sidelines, may never come into this industry as a result of what happened over the last week and even six months. Um, Could that be a good thing? Do you want my reasoning? Yes. Um, it could reduce the volatility in that massive amounts of capital comes in, in very competitive market where you can see insane returns in a very short amount of time, and then you see all these capitulations. C could it be that a more, kind of like a, a proof of work, a harder proof of work to create businesses in this industry will create better, more stable companies? 
CZ said um, poten- potentially one of the, you know the largest exchange and, and hopefully liquid exchange uh, said that cost of capital. Uh, we shouldn't be thinking about cost of capital. You need to maintain reserves. You need to be thinking about how can I keep a low low leverage in this market because of the volatility. And I think that by adding in, like you said, all this new capital flowing in quickly, that becomes very attractive to lever that up. Uh, And that's when we get these big deleveraging events that we're seeing now. It's the Ray Dalio's cycle on crack. Exactly, yeah. And it's... Again, poor miners are really bumping into two cycles that are occurring independent of each other. They are dependent on both of those cycles, but they're coming together at the same time. Um, energy and energy and Bitcoin cycle. Um, if we could go back to that chart, I wanted to show some one interesting thing, um, the hash rate, uh, the rig index with Bitcoin price. Um, the interesting part here, so if you could put the, in, yeah, put the, uh, um, Bitcoin price there. So Bitcoin has actually been rather flat since early July, right? You can see relative, um, mm. you know, there's been some bit, bits of volatility there. Mm. But the very interesting thing is the price of machines continuing to go down. That is a direct result of the ROIs. Yep, the ROIs on those machines, oversupply ROIs. Um, hash price continues to go down, hash rate continues to go up. That's what's causing those machines to continue to go down. Now. We saw another big leg down here. We'll probably see a leg down in, ha- in machine prices, but I think machine prices are getting back down to their reasonable levels. And I think that we'll, if, you know, if, if you start doing some ROI calculations, uh, we'll start to see a pretty reasonable price for machines here over the next three months or so. Right. Okay. How has this all affected Luxor? As yeah. a customer, I'm interested to yeah, know. Yeah, absolutely. So, just Luxor- so people know, like uh, I, I mine um, and I uh, bought my machines through Compass. Yep. Um, and I'm now a customer of yours. Yep. So, Luxor is a Bitcoin denominated company. Um, so, in that regard, it's obviously last year was significantly better. Hold on, you run a com- on, on a complete, you use Bitcoin as a unit of account for the business. That is not, no, we, we don't run it entirely on Bitcoin, okay. but I denominate how Luxor is doing based on how much Bitcoin it produces in a month. Okay. Um, so we produce more Bitcoin than we've ever produced in any month uh, in both August and in September. Um, so that from, from, a, from a Bitcoin denominated perspective is really good. Fortunately, that Bitcoin is worth a third of the value it was this time last year. So from a dollar perspective, November of last year was the best month we've ever had. Probably almost every single Crypto com- crypto based company was the same. You know, all the exchanges had record months, uh, record quarters. Um, people were selling you know tons and tons of machines. Uh, you know, everything was amazing. Um, so a year later, we're certainly seeing, you know, that we're 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 feeling the pain. Luxor's in a great spot uh, relative to the rest of the market. Um, but to say that you know things are amazing is certainly not. Um, you know, it certainly wouldn't be truthful. Uh, so we're sitting here waiting to see, like, what is our next play? Um, you know, we're not, we haven't done any layoffs, probably not going to have to do that in any significant amount uh, over the next bit. But really the big change in strategy for Luxor has been just around our hiring plan. You know, we had a lot of folks that we wanted to get in to build the products that we're building. Uh, we're taking a pause on that just to see, you know, where does this market go? Uh, and that seems to be, you know, the, the best companies in the industry are, are really trying to do that right now. They're basically just sitting, sitting tight, um, you know, preserve capital, 
capital. Let's you know reduce expenses where we can. Uh, just maintain free cash flows and you know see where this goes over the next couple of months here. Um, because if you know if the every month that you make it through with a you know with a green number at the end, that's a really good that's a really good month. And you know that's really what we're trying to do here. So you know we produce net income and all of that is great. Um, so we don't really burn like traditional um, uh, venture backed. Uh, you know, tech startups. Um, so in that regard, we're, you know, it's a lot less pressure than say, you know, some like blockchain metaverse company that doesn't have a product and doesn't generate any revenue. They're, you know, they were banking on that VC money. Their runway has gone down significantly. Uh, and now they're scrambling because there's no new capital coming into the space. Right. Um, have you, have you not taken any investment? Uh, so we took our Series A from NIDIG, and that was it. Uh, actually, we have a new strategic partner. Uh, Hivemind Capital has come in, uh, working with Jake, Green, uh, Jake Greenstein, um, Scarlett, and Matt Zhang, uh, and they're trying to get into. They're getting into the mining space here, and so they came on uh, late. You know, we put together something so they could be, um, you know, a part of the the Luxor story. Um, and really excited to get them on. Press release isn't out yet, so breaking news. But huh. um, just just them. But we're you know we haven't raised any capital, any significant amount of capital since the Series A. Uh, that NIDIG led in in late 2020. Are you, yeah? Most most companies once they've raised a C round, Series A, they're always thinking about the Series B. Yeah. Are you essentially just trying to build a company without raising capital as much as possible? So yeah, yeah that great. is 100. percent So the the story of Luxor, we were bootstrapped. Um, we were nights. You know, I founded the company, or Eddie and I founded the company in 2017. Uh, actually, August of 2017. Uh, and during that time, you know, we just built this as a hobby, nights and weekends. I was working at Salesforce. He was working at Nebulous Labs. Um, actually, I think he might have even still been in school for a little bit. Um, hmm. And so we're just working on Luxor nights and weekends. And then over the course of you know the next year and a half, you know, we started you know, releasing some products and, you know, started seeing people actually really like using Luxor products. So, um, you know, we started generating a little bit of revenue and, and we got to the point where we had enough of a bankroll that I felt comfortable leaving my like cushy nice. Silicon Valley tech job to go become the CEO of a, of a, of a company of four, uh, in July of 2019. So that's when I went full time. Um, how many people do you now? 47. Wow. Damn. Um, Congratulations. I yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, we and then so over the you know, over the end of 2019, um, you know, the rest of the founders came um, came full time. And then in 2020, we went to go we were going to go raise, you know, we we're going to do that, like, you know, jazzy pre seed round a million on 12 million or whatever it was. Uh, and then we bumped into COVID. And we're like, Okay, we've got to we've got to sit, you know, we're not going to raise in this market. We're not going to be able to, mm-hmm. um, we got to figure out how to build products that continue to generate enough revenue for us to stay uh, profitable. So we launched uh, Luxor switch, uh, which is really, I, I credit Luxor switch to keeping Luxor alive through 2020. Um, late 2020 really started getting a lot of traction on all of the products, you know, as you know, of course the market was really starting to, uh, go in our favor, um, raised uh, a series a round from NIDIG and ever since have not raised any, any capital, uh, reason being is we do generate uh, net income, which is, you know, an incredible feat. Uh, and I, I congratulate the Luxor team for being able to do so. Um, we were planning, we were thinking we should you know, should we put together, um, you know, a series B in like Q1, um, had some preliminary discussions and ultimately decided that probably doesn't make sense just given valuations are getting crushed and decided, okay, we'll, we'll hold off on that uh-huh. and we'll maybe push it to Q4 of this year. Uh, and then of course, you know, now we're, we're probably not going to go raise. I don't think even if we wanted to, um, there's no new capital coming into crypto right now. So, well, listen, um, bear markets are for surviving. And yeah. if you're, uh, you're making more Bitcoin at the end of the month than you've ever made. 
your trajectory is is great for coming out of uh, these kind of depressed prices. Yeah. So, you know, so we got to sit. Yeah, we got to you know really you know tighten you know tightening the belt, making sure that we have um, you know really tight expense controls, yeah. things like that. That's really the one thing. We, you know, um, you know, we're really thinking a lot about what is the bottom line. How do we you know reduce expenses month over month? Um, is there a way for us to you know cut you know cloud spend or or marketing or you know anything <clears> that. <laughs> Anything that <laughs> anything that we can do, what? anything that it's we can heresy, anything that we can do to make sure that the line uh, that the number is green at the end of the month yeah. is really where we're at right now. So I mean, marketing is the one area I'd always say people should definitely you should not continue cut. to it's, double down. Yeah, double yeah. down, especially if it's based on British football. Because uh, <laughs> I know. listen, I I pre- by the way, I appreciate you doing that, supporting the club. Um, what we've done with that football club, we couldn't have done without you and the other insane. sponsors. Insane! It's insane what you guys have done, dude. It's um, unbelievable, and we're we're having the time of our lives. But it's actually it's making a real difference to people's lives you know we've got more people playing football because of it we've my little town has this got this like seed of a project that people are getting excited about you know the, for the first time ever the local ladies team is being paid they've never been paid and they're getting paid expenses and you know they have to travel more than the men so just out of interest the lady uh, the men's team everything's geographic right so we're in um, uh, south midlands league the most the men's team ever has to travel is an hour and 20 minutes to a game there's less ladies teams and their division only has 12 and I go to as many of theirs as I can and you know they have to go up to two, two hours, 10, two hours, 15 to a game sometimes and they have to cover the cost of the petrol to get there mm-hmm. and so they've never been paid and, and based on the fact that we've got sponsors like you, they now have all new equipment, new shirts, new tracksuits and they get expenses to cover the, the, their costs. We couldn't have done that without you or other people and, and that's making a real difference. It's, this isn't just a vanity project, it's, mm-hmm. it's a genuinely interesting project that is uh, changing the lives of some people so I will always be grateful for you for doing that yeah I appreciate it man it w- it's been really exciting to see so tell me are, how does the promotion work okay so tell me how that works so you know the goal is well the, I say the goal is Premier League the realistically the goal is the Football League so you've got the Premier League Championship League 1 League 2 they're called the professional leagues that's the um, okay it's a weird thing they're called the professional leagues but really I mean if you're in the one below, which is the National League, that's still professional, but it's a hierarchy, yeah, and you can be promoted and relegated between them. But the first division under League Two, the National League, that's known as Step One. So they refer to the divisions underneath as steps. That's the one Wrexham are in. You know, Ryan Reynolds, he bought Wrexham. That's there. They're in there. We're in Step Six. So we're six promotions from the professional leagues, right? Okay. Okay. But what happens is below the National League, it starts to split. So National League, then you go to National League North and South, two separate divisions. So they only have to travel half a country. And then step three, it splits again all the way down to where we are. The team who comes to the top of our division goes up. Here we go. We've got the, we've got the table up. So the, the, the team at the top goes up and the next four go into a playoff. Semi-finals, final, and so whoever wins that also. So only two can go up. The thing is you really want to avoid the playoffs. Because if you if you get in the playoffs and you just have one bad game, like we've lost one game, we should have won it, but we didn't. And so if we go into the playoffs, you're at risk of this whole season, you have one bad game, you, you go out. And that would be devastating. So our goal is we must win this league. We have to win it. So we just go one game at a time doing everything we can. We are now top. We've played 15. We've only lost one. We've got 42 points. You can see we're 12 points above Northampton Silby, but they've got two games in hand. That means they've played two games less. 
Okay. So if they win their two games, they'll be up to six points behind us, right? Okay. But that means we've got a buffer of two defeats. Okay. We can afford two more defeats and still be above them because of our goal difference. So what happens is it comes down to how many points. If you're on the same points, it then goes down to goal difference. Got it. You know what goal difference is, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we've essentially, you would essentially say... That nine-point game helped there. What's that? The, the nine, nine nil. nil. Yeah. yeah. Did you say nine-point game? Yeah. <laughs> we don't call them points. We call them goals. Nine goal. Yeah, nine, nine goal. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's going well. The great thing this weekend is we didn't have a game. Our game was postponed. So all our rivals had, had games, and it was a chance for them to catch points up. Northampton Silby lost to Eaton Soken, and then Northampton Chenox, they drew with uh, Moulton. So we play next Saturday against Eaton Soken. Be a tough game, but it's home. We should win. Then we've got London Tigers down near the bottom. We should win. Then we've got Tame Reserves, even lower. We should beat them. Then we've got Wellingborough Whitworth. We should beat them. So if we get through all those four, we'll be halfway through the season and only have lost one game. It will be looking good. Then we've got last game of the, the, this year is Amtel Town. Now, they are our rivals. They will okay. outperform based on that. If we can win that, we then go into January and we play Langford. So my hope is we get to the uh, past the first game in January and we've played 21 games and we've only lost one. We've then got two really tough games. We've got Sealby away and Northampton Chinooks away. They're going to be two tough games. Now, if we get through those with a couple of wins, you start to think, okay, this is close. But it's one game at a time. Like, uh, my team is absolute warriors. Every game they go into fight and they they know okay. just one so more win, one more win. One more time. The top, top team does not go to the playoffs then? The top team goes straight up. Straight up. Yep. Got it. Okay. The second team, th- second, third, fourth, and fifth. Got it. Go into playoffs. A four-team playoff. So the way it works with my manager, it's re- this is really interesting difference between the manager and the chairman. He is only ever thinking about the next game. Okay. All he's thinking about is Eaton Soken. Okay. What are we going to do? How are we going to win that game? That's all he's focusing on. All I'm thinking on is next season. Okay. Because I've done everything I can. I've given him the resources to players. I've got to say, when we finish the end of the season, if we're promoted, I want to sit down with him on Monday and go, everything's ready for next season. Because mm-hmm. we're going to have to get you know, maybe three or four new signings. We're going to have to spend more money. We've got to upgrade the ground. I need to be prepared and go, it's, it's ready for you. Because I, I want to get from here into the uh, League Two in 10 years, six promotions in 10 years. I don't think it's ever been done. I want to do it. Okay, That means I have to be ready every year. We're allowed four slip-ups in 10 years. I mean, no. I'd love to do it in six years. Yeah. I think we can do back-to-back-to-back promotions. I think we can do three. I think we can go six, five, four, three in okay. three years. That's the goal. But it only happens with people like you. Yeah, you need another... If you got another bull run, no problem. Oh, yeah, another bull run. It's like, I'm going to raise for four years. Listening to you talk about this was probably me going through like the math <laughs> yeah. of like hash price. I'm like blown away. My wig is completely back and I'm trying to like follow all of it. Dude, I had no um, idea what the fuck you were talking about. I know, you were, your eyes like, yeah, were completely yeah. glazed yeah, over like, and you're like, what are you talking about? I was about? thinking about, right, on Saturday, we're playing Eaton Soken. <laughs> I'm going to be in Vegas. We're going to find... Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it's incredible. I tell you, there's some other incredible things off the back of this. Okay. So, the amount of merchandise that we're selling. Like, we sold $6,000 of merchandise at the Pacific Bitcoin Conference. That's amazing. Yeah, and all the merchandise we sell, that essentially will fund our ladies' team. 
Yeah. You know, that's incredible. There's people wandering around. Some guy said to me, he said, I was in the airport in Austin. There's somebody in a T-shirt that says Bedford. It was hilarious. Like, my little town is getting marketed it's around the world. Yeah. Our meetups, we have meetups once a month before a game. A previous one, we had nearly 70 there, Emma. We had 70 people there coming to learn about Bitcoin. It's fucking amazing. That's amazing. It's the whole I thing. It. I just got to keep it going, man. Come on, Bitcoin. I love it. I love right. it. Anything we didn't cover you want to cover? No, I've got it all on here. Um, everything I talked about uh, was good. I owe you 100,000 sats. What? I owe you 100,000 sats. Do you? We had two bets. One of them was, what is the price of Bitcoin going to be at the end of our last podcast? Uh, we said, I think it was 61,000. And it was, I said, I'll take over. You took under. And it was a little under. Okay. Um, uh, hertz also. Uh, and then we also talked about hash price. I said, is it going to go over 50 cents? And it, ne- it never did. So um, so I bet on hash price, even though yeah. I don't know what the fuck it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <of> Jesus. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's degeneracy at its at its max. So but, what uh, was it? 50,000 sats on each? 50,000 sats each. What's 100,000 sats? What's that? In? It's like 20 bucks. Right? Yeah, 20 bucks. 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i tell you what, you pay, pay it, take a t-shirt. Okay. We'll sell you right, a t-shirt. Gotcha. That. You can take that back. Um, absolutely. Um, that's really all I got here, man. This has been amazing. Dude, really bet, appreciate what's your bet for the next show? Oh, what's that? What's your bet for the next show? <laughs> trying to think of something oh, I, interesting. I, football, bring up the thing. Okay. All right. I'm going to give you a really crappy bet. I've got an idea. So we've got 38 league games, right? We've played 15. We've won 14. We had one defeat. So that's four. Can we bet on goals? Oh, that's quite that's quite a good get back because it's more random. I got. A, I think we. I think we could do points. So, what does it aggregate out at points for the season? Is it one hundred? Yeah, to, to divide forty-two by fifteen. I'm not good enough to. Well, actually, it's, it's uh, one hundred six. One hundred six. Well, yeah, one hundred six points. Right, hundred points under over. A hundred points is just to give you some background. Is like unheard of. It's very, very what's, hard. What's to get maximum points? points? I feel like I'm getting what? taken here. No, no, no. What's the maximum points? There's a chance I'm in getting the, taken. In the oh, uh, th- uh, let me see. I think it's 110. 38 times three. <clears throat> 114. Sorry. 114 is the maximum points we can get, and I'm saying over 100. Okay, just, under you're, over ta- 100. you're taking over. Just well, for context, the maximum points in the Premier League ever is nine. Is it 95? Yes. Or let's do 95. I'll take... No, no, 100. Well, I was going to say to you, under over 100. Let's if, do the over. If you give me 95, I'll take over. And my tr- normal sports betting bet, bet amount is 250k sats. Right. Sorry, that's not true, man. So you got 100 points. And... I, w- I want to... No, I want to go... I want to take over 100 points. You want to take over? I want to take over 100 points. Okay, so you're moving the line. So I'll take under 100 points. Yeah. 250k. 250k sats. And you sponsor us next season. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. hundred. Yeah. Okay. Let's get the man a t-shirt. Like, tell people where to go. Yep. Check us out. Luxor.tech. Uh, right. Hashrateindex.com. I'm uh, Nick at uh, hash underscore Bender on both Telegram and Twitter. Uh, Luxor Tech team on Twitter. Hashrateindex on Twitter. Um, if you want to email me, um, Nick at Luxor.tech. That's really it. Um, tell me how... Tell me how uh, how bad my predictions are, well, whatever. But All right. We'll love to chat about it. Hopefully next time we do this, uh, we've got a more positive Bitcoin environment. Yeah, we're not talking talk about, about who's going bankrupt next and yeah. you know, how's your company doing and how's everybody, you yeah. know, who's going to go out next? I don't know. We'll be, hopefully we'll be talking about uh, another promotion. That's what, That's what want. I want to talk All about. Right, man. Thank you, Nick. Take care, buddy. Take care. Okay, thank you for listening to What Bitcoin Did. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Nick. If you didn't, let me know. If you did, let me know. If you've got any further questions, let me know. 
Nick has been a great person to have available to talk to about mining. I'm occasionally pinging him on Signal and saying, Nick, tell me about this. What does this mean? What's going on here? And he always gets back to me. So I appreciate him. appreciate him as a friend and as a colleague in the industry. Now, this growing conversation around Bitcoin mining as an incredibly important industry for U.S. national security is fascinating. It's definitely something I'm going to be digging into more in the future. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this one. As I said, if you got any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, if you are one of those people who follows my football team, I've left it to the end, so you can't moan about me if you don't like it. But it is Orange Friday. You can get a discount. We're offering 30% off home shirts and 15% off everything else. That is OF30 for home shirts and code OF15 for anything else. Just head over to shop.railbedford.com. Everything you buy goes towards supporting the club and we're kicking ass. So please do support the club. Okay, have a great weekend, and I will catch up with you all next week.